encouragement for me. And so thank you for letting my family be a part of that. As we jump back in, and it is Super Bowl night, so I, I am watching the clock. Uh, and please don't tell me the score. I do not want to know. If you know it before you leave, I don't want to know. Um, I know right where my keys are. I know right where my car is. And all of my gifts are already loaded in the car. Um, so I am planning to go home and watch some football tonight. And uh, my father-in-law is chomping at the bit for me to get there and uh, watch the game with him. So uh, be, please be in prayer. Please be, please be in prayer for them. Uh, his health, he's got some things going on. And uh, he was here this morning and had to slide out uh, partway through in the service. He's just struggling a little bit. So I appreciate your prayers for him. And that's Michelle's uh, dad. So I appreciate that. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be tonight. Romans chapter 12. And uh, we talked last week about the gift of prophecy, the gift of foretelling spiritual truths. We talked about the, the big difference between foretelling, telling in advance something that was going to happen, or foretelling is speaking and proclaiming spiritual truth that God has revealed, and the gift of ministry. We talked about the gift of service last week, serving one another, talked about the practical nature of the gifts, uh, those two gifts specifically, and then some cautions about if you have those gifts, uh, so just some things to be aware of. Uh, so tonight, we're going to see two more that are still seen in the church today. Uh, we have people in this room that we're going to talk about, uh, not talking about you, but uh, talking about the gift that you most likely possess, just knowing uh, your personality and how you jump in and, and get involved. Uh, but I want you to envision, just like last week, envision people in your mind that you would know that would exemplify these two, these two uh, spiritual gifts. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 8. Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. It says, or he that exhorteth. Well, let's, let's go back to chap, uh, verse number 6 or verse 5. Um, verse 4. All right. Uh, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office... So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. We'll stop right there and we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, thank you for the day that you've given us, the opportunity we have, uh, Lord, to come back into your word tonight. Please speak to our hearts. And Lord, please show us some truths that we can apply uh, to our lives. Uh, Lord, help us to understand and get a grasp on spiritual gifts. Uh, Lord, it's not something that's rocket science, not something that's above us. Uh, Lord, you gave us these truths to teach us and to mold us into what you would have us to be. Now, Lord, please bless our time this evening. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in your notes, number one, just two main points and then a lot of subheadings underneath that. Number one, we're going to deal with the gift of exhortation. And here's some questions. And if you have uh, this spiritual gift is your gift, uh, some of these things will kind of resonate with you. Are you concerned about correcting error wherever and whenever you find it? Do you care deeply about helping people avoid mistakes and helping those who have made mistakes to repent of their ways? All right, what are some of the natures of the gift of exhortation? And we see growth, potential, concern, and focus. We talked about Timothy and Peter last week, how that they were uh, prime examples of prophecy and then prime examples of ministry. Uh, but our example for the gift of exhortation has to be the Apostle Paul has to be the Apostle Paul because uh, exhortation was kind of his mantra. And we'll see that throughout some of his writings uh, dealing with these things. Uh, but exhortation always has to have an element of caution that's given with it. And we see that Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 and 29. Uh, Paul is writing, it says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereinto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, why the conversation about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit? The word, the Greek word for Comforter is parakletos, which means someone who exhorts the gift of exhortation. So Paul talks about warning 
And then Jesus talks about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and uses that word parakletos, which means someone who exhorts. So the Holy Spirit is that one living and breathing inside of us that exhorts us, that encourages us, that speaks to us biblical truth. But what are some things, if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, or gift of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you have the gift of exhortation, what are some things that a person with that specific gift will do? Number one, first, they desire to see others grow in the faith. That's the epitome of the Apostle Paul. Now you think about Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and John Mark and uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Tychicus. Uh, all of these people, uh, he encouraged, he rallied around them, uh, trying to encourage them and get them to grow in their faith. Did that to the point of his death in AD 64. But when Paul did that, uh, he would ask, and just uh, their question is, how are you in your spiritual life? Now, it's easy for us to say, you know, how was your week? Or how, how is this situation? Or how is this prayer request? But exhorters, people with the gift of exhortation, are concerned where you are spiritually. How's your walk with the Lord? Uh, how is your journey with Jesus? What does that look like? Uh, how is it coming? How's your Bible reading coming? How's your prayer life? They're concerned with those things. They're discipleship-oriented. Focus on the journey with Christ. People-oriented as well, growth-oriented, but they desire to see others grow in their faith. The second thing, those with the gift of exhortation desire to see others discover their spiritual potential. See, they don't want to be anything less or do anything or want other people to be anything less than what God has called them to be. They push people, not in a, uh, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do, but they push and encourage people to do more for Christ. They encourage others to do more, to be more. Not trying to get somebody to be like me, but ultimately trying to get you to become what Christ made you to be. Who He created you to be. Remember Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Paul saying, Timothy, teach other men. But don't just teach them and let them just hold on to that truth. Teach them the importance of passing it on. So exhortation. It's not just I'm trying to give you wisdom. I'm trying just to speak into you. I'm teaching you a principle so that you would pass on that information to the next person. That's discipleship. In its truest form, in Matthew 28, when Jesus was teaching the principle of discipleship, it was not so that we would teach people how to be little clones of us. It was so that we would teach people how to be like Jesus. And not just so that we can say, all right, you got the information, good for you, enjoy your Christian life. The whole purpose of discipleship is for me to disciple someone, and then when we're done, for both of us to disciple someone else, and then when we're done... For both of all of us to disciple someone else. And it's the principle of multiplication. That's how we change the world with the gospel of Christ. Each one reach one. And when you reach one, you take that person through discipleship and teach them to do the exact same thing that someone has done for you. And it begins to multiply quickly. Quickly. Uh, so that is what Paul is doing. He's exhorting Timothy uh, to be faithful. Third, those with the gift of exhortation are concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. Now, they're not afraid to speak into someone's life if there is a concern. Paul gave us the template in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. He said that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they, lay, they lie in wait to receive. He's telling the church of Ephesus, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful because there are people out there, and even sadly in good churches, that do not believe and practice biblical doctrine. And the same is said in 2023. Uh, good churches, good people who have been led astray. And sadly, instead of getting right and seeing what does the Bible say that I should do, a lot of times they lead others astray. Whether willingly or unwillingly, knowingly or unknowingly, lead others astray. And Paul said, number one, be cautious. But when it happens, verse 15, Ephesians 4, we know the verse. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He said, when it happens, we address it 
not to embarrass, but simply to speak the truth in love. Hey, brother, hey, sister, this is not right. Hey, I love you, care about you enough to not let you continue down this path without telling you the truth, without sharing that the direction you're headed is wrong. There, there are people who are going to try and trip us up. There are people who are going to try and put up roadblocks. But when they do, we speak the truth in love. An exhorter may come off as, as a little aggressive at times because they're so focused on truth. Truth. And that's why Paul is saying, hey, you can speak the truth, just do it with the right spirit. Uh, I heard years ago, I've used it, I don't remember where I heard it, but it's not mine originally. Uh, we, when you handle conflict, it's always done at the right place, the right time, with the right spirit. Right time, right place, right spirit. And if you can't check off all three of those boxes, you should not deal with that issue in that moment. Well, it might be the right place and it might be the right time, but man, I sure am mad about this and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. It should not be handled that way. Right time, right place, right spirit. All three of those checked. And Paul was an advocate of speaking the truth but doing it in the right way. Uh, fourthly, those with the gift of exhortation are focused on pointing others towards Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Uh, there's an ultimate goal for an exhorter, and it's this. How can I strengthen this person and point them to Jesus? How can I do both? How can I accomplish this goal by strengthening them, encouraging them, uh, pushing them, uh, letting them know that they have value and they can do something for the Lord, but it's not going to be in their own strength, their own ability. I, I want to point them to Christ. So how do we do that? Those are the four, first four natures. The next group of the natures of the gift of exhortation are instruction, value, application, and presence. Uh, first one, they're able to give precise instructions about how a person may grow in relationship with Christ. We see this in Paul's writings when he would offer step-by-step -step instructions on how to facilitate a problem, how to facilitate spiritual growth, how to get to the next level. He didn't make it difficult. He just said, hey, follow this simple process, step-by-step. -step. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a prime example. All right, Remember communion, how the Corinthian church messed up in a lot of areas, um, wrong in a lot of places. But remember when he got to chapter 11 and he dealt specifically with communion, uh, he started with the example set forth by Jesus in the upper room in verse 23. And then he gave the meaning of each element, the, the cup and the bread. Uh, then he told them how they had distorted it by not examining themselves, why it was important to do it the right way, and then stress the reasoning behind making sure that they were clean when they partook. Step by step by step by step. Hey, I want to show you a very simple example. I want to lead you through this process of what Jesus was trying to do. I want to show you where you're wrong in this process. And then I'm going to show you how to make it right. Exhortation. Hey, I'm not just going to tell you, you're wrong. You shouldn't do that. And we all know, at times, we need to be told that we're wrong. Yes, we need to be told that we're wrong. But we don't just need to be told that we're wrong and leave it hanging there. All right, how do I make it right? How can I spin it around and make it right? Uh, the, remember the movement back in the 70s where uh, churches were getting, uh, I'm, I'm not that, quite that old, but close. Uh, but remember the movement in the 70s when churches were uh, getting teenagers to come in and they were burning all the rock music tapes and, rec and vinyls and all that stuff and they were having bonfires and all this different stuff. Remember they were doing all that. There was a, a horrible mistake that was made in that entire process because they took rebellious teenagers and said, we want all your stuff. You should not have this stuff. So kids are crying, oh, so sorry, you're coming to this bonfire and burning all their stuff. But the flaw was they didn't give them a replacement. So what happens? If you don't have a replacement, six months down the road, you're rebuying those albums, you're rebuying those cassette tapes, because the fear factor has worn off. That conviction and guilt is gone. It's dissipated. 
Because there's nothing to replace it with. You don't just say this is wrong. We have to teach what is right. It's not just sin, 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 condemnation. It's not just love, 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 love without justice. It has to be a pairing of both. And that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. Pair them together. But here he's doing the exact same thing. Hey, I want to tell you what Jesus was trying to do with communion, the example he's trying to make. I want to show you how you've done it wrong, but I also want to know, show you how you can do it right. A step-by-step process. That's what the gift of exhortation does. But can you clearly articulate, if you have the spiritual gift and you, don't, you may not know it, can you articulate the step-by-step journey of following Jesus? We call it at Crossroads, next steps. Next steps. Salvation, baptism, uh, discipleship, membership, service. And we saw some people take their next step today. Two of them. Two steps, baptism, membership. But we encourage people, step-by-step journey. Can you articulate what, is, what someone's step-by-step journey with Jesus should be? And encourage someone to be on that journey with Jesus. Hey, how, how are you doing? Remember point number one, you're concerned with the spiritual walk of others. Hey, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? You know, where are you on the steps? Where are you? It's not AA. All right? It's not 11 steps. You know, you got to do these 11 steps. Uh, hi, my name is Heath, and I am. You know, it's not that. It's, hey, where are you in your walk with the Lord? Have you been baptized? I, I, today, the topic is Valentine's Day and Super Bowl. And ever, it, it's easy to talk about both because tonight's game, Tuesday's Valentine's Day, it's easy to talk about them. But how radical would it be to come in on a Sunday morning and not have any fluff, not have any of the uh, superficial, the stuff that's not going to matter, and instead, hey, how's your walk with the Lord? What, what's some things that the Lord taught you in your devotions this week? Uh, we would have some people, well, hey, brother, it's good to see you. i got to go over here, you know, and beeline. I don't want to answer that question. But that would radically change us because it would show what really matters. What's the things that really matter? How are we in our journey with Jesus? Second, those with the gift of exhortation have learned value in suffering. Suffering. Paul spent a lot of time talking about hardships. Why? Because he suffered a lot. Talked a lot about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 He asked about his thorn in the flesh three times. Lord, I could be so much more effective for you if you would take this thorn in the flesh away. Take it away from me. Uh, Let me just uh, do more for you because this thorn in the flesh is what is holding me back. And what was God's response? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take, Paul's saying now, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I go through these hardships, it shows me that His grace is still enough. Uh, Yes, I might look at it and say, Lord, I could do so much more without these thorns. And God looks back and says, but look what you would give up if you lost the thorn. You would live in a state where you're not feeling, experiencing my grace every single day. You wouldn't have to rely, Paul, you wouldn't have to rely on me as much. You'd be relying on you. You'd be living in the flesh. And the thorn is what draws us into his grace, his suffering. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 Remember, he's writing out saying, man, I want, to do, I want to know him. I want to know all these things about him. And he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, that's what we want. And the fellowship of his sufferings. That's not what I want. Yeah, I want the power. You got it. I want it. Uh, but uh, we want the power, but we don't want the suffering. Now, I want, I want to be able to charge hell with a squirt gun, but I don't want my coworkers criticizing me while I'm doing it. We want the easy road to follow Jesus, and there's not one. There's not one. 
All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Everybody that picked up a cross to carry it knew what was going to happen when they got to the hill. They were going to die. It was a decision to die. Picking up the cross meant that you were dying. You were on the road to death. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, guys, this is what it will cost. And see, we say, oh, you know, I'll probably be made fun of, but I won't have to, man, I sure won't have to go through what Jesus went through. But we don't know that. We don't know that. Oh, man, I don't want to fully surrender. There's, there's no telling what, what God will uh, want me to do. But if we don't fully surrender to Jesus... There's no telling what we'll miss. See, we can say all we want to. Man, I'm just going to follow Jesus while I'm comfortable. And you'll receive just the minimal amount of God's blessing and handiwork in your life. But when we say, man, I want to pray for big things. I want to take big steps, big leaps. That requires big faith. But it also comes with big rewards and big blessings. And we might not see them this side of heaven. But it comes with it. It's a part of it. Uh, Martin Luther King, the faith is taking the first step when you don't see the entire staircase. Taking the first step when you can't see the entire staircase. So they've learned the value of suffering. Third, those with the gift of exhortation are concerned with the application of God's word. Prophets want to make sure the truth is proclaimed. Teachers want to make sure it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But exhorters ask, how can this be applied to my life? Uh, When we were in Bible college, they taught us, when you read the Bible every single day, you ask a series of questions. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? What are they saying? What time period are they writing? And all of those things. But the most important question, how does this passage apply to me? Nobody cares about David and Goliath if they don't know how it applies to them today. Uh, So, We have to read the scripture and say, how does it apply to me? Uh, I'm reading in the book of Mark right now, personally in my devotions. And I read The Widow's Might. And uh, I I just, I was amazed yesterday, it was either yesterday or today. And uh, I was reading that, you know, he's talking about, just before that, he's teaching, love me the most, first, first and greatest commandment, second's likened to it. And then what does he show us right after that? The proof of that love in a widow with two mites who gave him everything she had. What was she doing? She's saying, I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. She was the example of what Jesus is teaching. And so I'm reading that and it, you know, light bulb, first time see it after reading it over and over, hit me and thought, You know, he's given us all these principles, but are we the living example? So then it's, all right, Lord, how can I be the living example? How how does that apply to me? How can I love you in all of these different areas? So it's how does the Bible apply to me? But those with the gift of exhortation, that's where they live. They want to share that. They want to know that. They want to give it to other people. Fourthly, those with the gift of exhortation want to be present with people and see firsthand how they're growing in their faith. How many, excuse me, how many times did Paul say, I long to be with you? Over and over in his writings to different churches. Man, I'd love to be there with you. I'd love to see you. I'd love to see how your prayer requests have been answered and how you're growing in grace. Exhortation. Uh, exhorters are challenged and encouraged by those who are interested in deepening their walk with Christ. Uh, their focus is always unity. Unity. I, now let's, let's calm down. Let's, let's calm down. We don't need to get riled up about that. Uh, it's just a game. You know, it's, it's not going to matter. Uh, my, my mom's famous quote from when we were growing up is, it's not going to matter 10 years from now. And, uh, but she hit me in the face 10 seconds ago. And so it matters right now, you know. Uh, but Ephesians 4.3, Paul said, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace. People with the gift of exhortation are peacemakers. Hey, how can, we, how can we settle this? How can we provide unity? How can we leave and this be resolved? 
okay? Uh, but here's four cautions. That's all the nature of the gifts of exhortation. Here's the four cautions to guard against. If you have the spiritual gift, you need to be on the lookout for these four things, all right? You have to guard, number one, against oversimplifying a problem. Oversimplifying a problem. You may come with a giving a quick fix formula, problem, and be criticized for it because you oversimplify something. Hey, this is easy. Follow this three-step plan. It might not be that simple. It might not be that easy. Exhorters have to give that step-by-step. Remember Paul, 1 Corinthians 11? Here's what happened. Here's the example. Here's what you did wrong. Here's how you make it right. The step-by-step process. Not just, oh, you'll be fine. Just give it a few days. You'll be all right. It doesn't work that way. Uh, They're great accountability partners for this, by the way. Because exhorters are over there, you can do it. Hey, let's, let's do it. How's your devotions? How's your prayer life? They're exhorters. They're pushing. They're encouraging. But guard against oversimplifying. Number two, exhorters have to guard against being insensitive. Insensitive. It's easy for an exhorter to come across as so positive that they're not realistic. Oh, it'll blow over. You know, uh, the fact that you cheated on your spouse. It'll blow over. It'll be fine. It's not that simple. You know, uh, we talk about being insensitive. Uh, Even though they're encouraging and uplifting, it's easy for somebody with this gift to downplay a serious problem that takes time. You know, step by step. You follow these steps, it'll be better tomorrow. It might not be. Uh, don't, Don't be insensitive. When someone's hurting, they might not need you to give the step by step plan. How many of you guys, your wives, have ever told you, please don't raise your hand, please don't point. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to hear. I don't want to know how to fix the problem. I just want you to listen to me. I don't. I don't want to know. Don't give me a step by step plan. I don't need to know how to fix something. I just want you to sit and listen. Okay, we need to worry, make sure that we're not being insensitive. Number three, exhorters have to guard against being distracted from their main purpose. It's easy to get singular focused as an exhorter. Maturity, growth, I want to see people grow. And we overlook that somebody may just need Jesus along the way. You know, can't see the forest for the trees. They get locked in on one specific thing, overlook the main purpose. Fourth, exhorters have to be skilled in applying the Word of God within the context of Scripture as a whole. Their whole focus is, you can do it, you can do it. But in that process, it's easy for all of us to misuse the Scripture. Don't have time. Uh, it's easy to take one verse and use it out of context and have good intentions. Really easy. Because it sounds good. Chance it fits. Man, um, this verse fits. All right? Uh, I'll give you a great verse. And then I'll give you a way out of context principle. Okay? Here we go. All right? Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty five. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Okay? It's not saying that liberals will all be fat, number one. All right? It doesn't even mean liberal the way that we would use it today, like Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. It doesn't mean that. Okay? But it would be easy for me to say, just reading that one little snippet, the liberal soul should be made fat. You know, you don't want to get fat. And so be conservative. And so that you're not a liberal, be healthy. Jesus wants to be healthy. Uh, so you can do more for him. Uh, just be like Jesus and don't be a liberal. Uh, be conservative so that Jesus will bless your life. That's not what the verse is talking about. So you take a snippet of a verse and weave it out of context, and all of a sudden you've taught something in, with good intentions, but not biblical. We all have to be gifted and exhorters even so much more. Because we have a desire to see people grow. We have a desire to encourage people. We have a desire to push people towards following Christ. That it's easy for us to get wrapped up in the moment and misuse the scripture. Okay? So, exhorter. The gift of exhortation. All right, number two. The gift of giving. Giving. Look back at verse number eight. He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now, remember we talked about the glass of milk last week, prophecy. Hey, if you would have been more careful, you wouldn't have spilled that milk. Uh, you know, the uh, last week, 
second person. Uh, it was uh, prophecy, and then it was uh, ministry, serving. The servant is already over cleaning it up, uh, cleaning up the spilled milk while everybody else is still arguing over here uh, whose fault it was. Uh, the servant is already cleaning it up. Uh, the person that has the gift of exhortation, hey, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, there's a whole lot more milk. We've, we'll go get more milk. It'll be fine. Uh, the giver, the gift of giving, you can have my milk. It's, I'll get more. It's fine. You can have this. That's the gift of giving. So ask the question, do you respond to a need by saying, what can I do? How can I help? Uh, do you like to provide for ministries in the church and see the results? Do you find you have a good sense of how to manage your money and resources so that you can help? If so, you may have the gift of giving. All right, so here's three statements about giving. And what I think is interesting about giving, the person who speaks more in the New Testament about giving and resources than anyone else is Matthew. Matthew, all right? Uh, very unique, different Matthew. Uh, but he's the only one to address the misuse of our resources in the entire New Testament. The only writer to, to strongly address those issues. Uh, so three things. First, we have to give regardless of our situation in life. Giving is not just a principle for those who are wealthy. Did you get that? Giving is not just commanded to those who are wealthy. And how much money you and I have in the bank has nothing to do with the gift of giving. Some of the greatest givers that I know, that I have met personally, that I have seen, are not millionaires. They're not millionaires. And we would think, man, God's just going to back up the dump truck and just pour it in their front yard, you know, so they can just give, 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 give. They don't keep it for themselves. They give it away. They just continually give it away. God gives it and they give it. God gives it, they give it. It's in and out. It's not never held. It's constantly going. So don't assume that the people who have the gift of giving are the people with the most money because that's not the case. They're excited to give. Remember, Matthew said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They're connected. So give regardless of our situation. Number two, all of us are commanded to give and to do so with liberality. Now, remember, not liberal, okay? Not same thing. Uh, remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. He said they were poor, they had nothing, but yet they still had a great desire to give. They, they did not allow the fact that they had nothing to hold them back from giving something. They were involved. They were compelled to give a lot. And we all commanded to give as he commands. As soon as he tells me, I'm supposed to respond. A third, giving is not limited to money. And we all know this. You know, when we hear somebody talk about stewardship, we automatically think, all right, this is going to cost me something, or a uh, pastor's going to ask me to give more, or we're going to have an offering, or something like that. But giving is so much more than just our money. Uh, giving is about time, talent, energy, creativity, are all ways that we can give and glorify the Lord in our service to Him. All right, I'm going to give you a prime example, and we all saw it this morning on display right here. God has given a gift for people to play instruments. And they were exercising a gift of giving by playing. Simple. Uh, God has given gifted people with the ability to sing. And they were exercising that gift this morning. They were giving. They might not have the spiritual gift of giving, but they were exercising a gift to give of their talent. See, it's not necessarily always every time the plate goes by or missionary comes through, well, i got to give $1,000. You know, it's not that. It's simply being willing to give when prompted, when God speaks to our heart. All right, Not just one avenue to give. Here's some of the nature of giving. Uh, number one, they have a keen ability to make wise investments and purchases in order to have more money to give. Now, I'll tell you the contrast. The modern-day American says, I want to find the best price on what I want so that I can have more money to buy more stuff. That is the modern-day American way of living. I'm going to go to the clearance section, 
and I'm going to find this particular thing that I'm looking for. And if I happen to see something, I'll justify buying that because I saved money on this. That's the way we think. All right? And that's the way we're conditioned to think. All right? Hey, buy one, get one fifty percent off. Well, I'm, it's a bargain. I need two of them automatically. Man, that makes sense. I mean, Greg, jerseys, man. Hey, buy one, get one twenty percent off. You know, I need two of them. Spend more because they're on sale. But the person with the gift of giving says, "How can I save money so that when the Holy Spirit leads me, I can give." The gift of giving. How can I save money over here so that when God speaks to me and says, hey, that person needs help or that missionary needs an offering, uh, that, that person needs help in their Sunday school class. And, you know, you could tweak your schedule and help them. All of those things. Not so that I can have more for me, but so that I can have more for him. Wise investment. Number two, and by the way, that is a, perfect place to say right there stay out of debt stay out of debt and I am not the prime example to speak on that uh, many many mistakes but stay out of debt stay out of debt. I remember when we bought our first car we were young and in love and dumb we bought our first car and it had two miles on it we were so happy and then the first payment came in and it was, what have we done? <laughs> and we paid that car off six years later, the month before Kennedy was born. Thank God. Uh, because Michelle stayed home. And that was not on purpose. That was God <laughs> blessing our foolishness. Uh, but in spite of that, make wise choices. Make wise decisions. Number two, uh, second, those with the gift of giving desire to give humbly and not call attention to themselves. You will not find somebody with the gift of giving who says, Hey, I'm bringing my offering, Pastor. I want to just give it. It doesn't work that way. People with the gift of giving do it and say, Don't tell anybody. I just want to be a blessing. I don't want any credit. Have you ever gotten one of those nice envelopes with no name on it? Just want to be a blessing. No name. Well, how am I going to write a thank you note? How am I going to know who to thank? You're not supposed to. Because that person who gave doesn't want you to know. All they want you to know, we'll get there in just a minute, is that God spoke to them and they obeyed. That's all that matters. God spoke to them and they obeyed. Period. I had a family call me. It's been a couple years. And uh, they said, we need to meet with you. So I went over to their home and they expressed uh, a desire to give towards one of our ministries and said we're going to give you a check today you take it with you don't tell anybody about it um, and still haven't still not said a word um, and would not embarrass them but the gift of giving and that's hey we just want to be a blessing we've had people in our church family who have passed away and who have left sizable amounts of money to this church who said we don't need anybody to know where the money came from we just want to be a blessing. Gift of giving. Gift of giving. Hey, if my death can help bless the church for future generations and to help the cause of Christ, we're going to be a blessing. I think that's wonderful. Because it's, it's kind of like he being dead yet speaketh. It's a testimony to their spiritual gift. It's a reminder that God still does prompt people and still does encourage people to give. And they obey. It's a blessing. Third, those with the gift of giving are eager to encourage others to give. You ever met somebody who was eager to rally other people to a cause to give? Hey, man, we, we could all get in this thing together. This would be awesome. We, we could all have our fingerprints on This would be wonderful. They have the gift of giving. All right, so three statements. Uh, the nature of giving. Uh, first, they often have an ability to discern financial and material needs that other people overlook. They ask a lot of questions. All right, why, why are we doing this? Uh, tell me what this money is going to be used for. Uh, how, how can we do this to meet the need? Is this even the right thing to do? They ask a lot of questions. Number two, those with the gift of giving regard stewardship over material possessions and finances as indicative of a person's ability to be a good steward of spiritual matters. 
Those with the gift of giving regard stewardship over material possessions and finances as indicative of a person's ability to be a good steward of spiritual matters. Remember Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, He that's faithful in that which is least is faithful also in, mul- also in much. You know what that means? If you're faithful with $10, you'd be faithful with $1,000. The amount of the money is not important. It's the principle of are you faithful with what you have. You ever heard somebody say, well, pastor, when I win the lottery, man, I'm going to give 20% to the church. Well, if you're not giving 20% right now with your $1,000 a week salary, how in the world could God trust you if you won the lottery? See, it's a simple principle. The, the dollar amount doesn't matter. Are we faithful? Are we faithful? And maybe God can't trust someone with a lot because they're not faithful with a little. That's a hard truth. Oh, God, I, I need a raise. Are you faithful with what you've got right now? Could God trust you with more? Could God bless you with more and trust that you would handle it appropriately? Third, those with the gift of giving rejoice when their giving is an answer to someone else's prayer. And somebody, they hear of somebody praying for a need. Now, remember, this goes back to what we said last week. Uh, you can make your prayer request into a burden in the wrong way. Okay, It's not for you to go around and say, well, you know what, just pray for me because I'm, uh, you know, I've got to make this, I've got to pay this bill. My credit card's due and I've I got to pay all the... That's not your place. You pray about it and let God prompt somebody if he wants to use another avenue to help meet your need. Period. But when someone is used to answer prayer, I'll never forget, we, were, uh, we had just moved. Were we leaving Charlotte or were we? We had just got to Charlotte. And uh, we switched insurance companies. And uh, we were young and kind of foolish. And I gave my insurance check to a lady in our church. And I said, will you put this in the mail for me? And she said, yes. And so as far as I was concerned, the insurance company had the money. And then I got a letter saying that we didn't have insurance a couple months later. And what had happened? That lady had lost the check. And so didn't get paid, dropped our insurance, called, and they gave us the dollar amount. That it's going to cost this much. And I knew, and this is a poor preacher's kid, first job outside of my family. Uh, I don't have that kind of money. It was 900 and something dollars that we had to have. So we started praying for it. Lord, I don't, I don't know where this money's going to come, but we know that you led us here. We know that this is your plan. Uh, we know that we tried to do right, and we tried to get this person to mail this for us. And uh, just weird set of circumstances, we prayed. So it was coming up to a birthday, okay, birthday for us. And our Sunday school class went around, and we had not told anyone, anyone of our need. We just prayed about it. And so our Sunday school class went around and said, hey, this is Brother Heath. He's a new staff member and his wife. No kids. Um, we, were, we were living with another couple at the time in their two-bedroom townhouse. They had been married three months yeah, I'll let your mind wander. Uh, so they'd been married three months, and they let us live with them. It was glorious. Uh, so <laughs> I can't go there. Uh, but so we just prayed, Lord, we know that you've led us here. Please provide the need. So our Sunday school class went around and whispering, hey, let's, let's just do something nice for their birthday. It was either birthday or anniversary. I can't remember. And they handed us an envelope that night. They did a big thing for us, kind of like tonight, and um, dinner, and we love you, and we want to do something special. And uh, the guy who gave me the envelope, we still talk frequently. He's just a great brother in the Lord. Almost died a couple years ago due to COVID and all this stuff. And uh, handed me the envelope said, this is from our church family. We just want to be a blessing. And it was cash. And the envelope was not thin. It was thick. So, you know, you just, you try and brush it off, you know, God bless you, you know, thank you so much. And uh, I couldn't stand it because I'm thinking prayer request, prayer request, prayer request, prayer request. And so I, we got home that night and I counted it. It was $900. 
that stuff just doesn't happen. So I got up the next week, and I was a mess, a wreck, you know. And so got up, shared the story, shared what we were praying for, didn't say that this lady was horrible because she didn't mail our check. But um, so, and then just shared the need. And the people who are in the know, man, you could see just like, they're my, hey, God used us to meet a need. God used us to answer a prayer, gift of giving. They rejoice when their giving is an answer to someone else's prayer. Someone else's prayer. Fourth, those with the gift of giving desire to give gifts of high quality. I still shake my head uh, at times when people will say, Hey, Pastor, you know, uh, we got a new TV at our house, and this TV is 10 years old, but it still looks good. Could the church use that? No, I don't want your 10-year-old TV. <laughs> I don't. I love you. No, I don't want that. I'm sorry. Uh, if God lays on your heart to give a TV, go buy something and donate that to the church. So that, you remember the TVs that were like this big, you know, uh, the screen was like this, but it was this wide, you know, and uh, we had some of those that were donated years ago. And I, I still, it's like high quality, gift of giving people say only the best. God laid it on my heart, I want to do the best. I want to I do what God wants me to do. And they're not looking for the cheapest way out, just to check a box that God satisfied that I obeyed. They're saying, how can I obey to the max how can i fulfill to the fullest being part of someone's success brings them joy not the cheap way out high quality here's the cautions to guard against and uh, we're almost done Uh, here's four things to guard against excuse me five things to guard against number one givers must never become so overly concerned with material goods that they neglect the spiritual dimension of their own lives this kind of goes back to service last week where you can serve, 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 Mary, Martha. Martha serving, 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 and you neglect to sit at Jesus' feet. Same thing. You can get caught up in giving, 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 where you overlook, oh, man, I, I just gave away our tithe money. <laughs> I just gave away what God gave us to pay our rent, you know. Think about how can I give. Giving is not a substitute for consistency in our walk with the Lord. It doesn't fill that, check that box. We still need to be consistent in all areas. Giving needs to remember, givers need to remember that balance is vital in in our walk with the Lord. Second, givers must never attempt to control the ministry or life of another person through their gifts. It's easy for us to want to not only give a gift, but also to manage how that gift is spent. All right, I, I mean, I just want to be a blessing to you. Here's a gift that I just want to give to you just because God prompted. You don't know. You give the gift, and then they buy it on, they spend it to buy a PlayStation. You needed tires. I mean, why, why would you spend it on that? But someone with a gift of giving, when you let go, you've done your part. Be satisfied that you obeyed the prompt of the Lord. You're not guilty for someone else's foolishness. You're not to blame. But rather you sit back and say, God, help them to manage well what I've given. God, I did my part. I followed your leading. It's kind of the, the illustration of, and it's easy for all of us. You know, we look, we come up to a red light and we see the guy with a sign. You know, if I give them money, they're going to go to the gas station and buy booze. Or they're going to go buy cigarettes. But what if the Holy Spirit says, roll down your window and give them money? Who's going to win the argument? You because how you think that they'll spend it? Or God who's saying to give it? I'll never forget one of our men who's with the Lord now would carry $2 bills in his car and tracks. And he would staple them together. And every person he came to on the road, stoplight, he would roll down the window and he would lean out and say, hey, just want to give you this and this church track tell you how you know you're going to heaven. And he said, Pastor, when I gave it, I was done because I had done what God commanded me to do. Give and point. Okay? We talk exhortation. And I'm not just giving, I'm also pointing. I'm not just sharing, I'm pointing the right direction. 
Um, third, givers must never pressure others to give as generously as they do. It's easy for us to want everybody on board, everybody to do matching gift, you know, what we're going to do. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 42, Give to him that asketh thee, from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. He's talking about going above and beyond. Uh, it's right after he says, hey, if somebody compels you to go a mile, go with them twain. Go above and beyond. But gifted givers don't like pressure tactics. They don't pressure me to give. They see through that. But just because they don't like those tactics, they've got to make sure that they don't employ those tactics on other people. Well, man, I'm giving $100. You gave 10 bucks. I mean, I dug deep to give $100. I mean, come on. We've got to be careful. Don't put pressure. We don't like the pressure. You have the gift of giving. You don't like that pressure, but don't extend the pressure. Fourth, givers must never become stingy to their own families. You ever heard somebody who said about maybe something that's said about someone, man, they would give you the shirt off their back. I know people who would give you the shirt off their back plus their wives and their kids. And don't think a thing about it. I'll give you, man, you, I'll get my kid. You can have their shoes. No, hey, there's a line. Know where that line is. Don't cross it. Uh, you think about some amazing givers whose own children are begging for time with them. Yeah, mom and dad were so in tune with giving to others that they never spent time with us. That's a problem. There has to be a balance. An unjust balance is an abomination to the Lord. Find that balance. Strike that balance. So concerned with the needs of others that their own family's primary needs get neglected. So find that balance. And then lastly, givers must always Remember to be thankful for what they receive. It's easy to give and give and not be thankful when people give to us. It's easy. Always be grateful for what you have been given. It doesn't hurt anything to say thank you. It doesn't hurt anything to write a thank you note. Uh, it's, it's kind of a dying art. You know, saying thank you, writing a note. Hey, thank you for, for that. Thank you for the Legos. You know, uh, thank you for, we, we've gotten the habit at Christmas time, when someone gives us a card with a gift card or money or whatever, we flip that thing over right then, write the gift, and it goes in a stack. And at the end of the season, we start passing out thank you notes. It might take us three months to give you a note, but we're going to get you a note. Uh, that's just our thing. Uh, so be Thankful, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be Ye thankful. Thankful. Exhortation, giving, prophecy, ministry. Know what your spiritual gift is yet? We got a few more to go. We'll pick back up next week with two more gifts. And I hope the study's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing, encouragement to me. And uh, we'll pick right back up there and be talking about teaching, teaching, and ruling, ruling next week. Leadership. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, please give us a great night tonight. Keep us safe. And, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to spend time with your church, your body of believers tonight. We love you. Thank you so much for how you love us. And, Lord, if it matters, please help the Eagles win. In Jesus' name, amen.